<laughs> Oops. So on your way in, you might have seen this on the table with your weekly handout. So last Sunday at our vision day, we decided that for the summer, <clears throat> the last couple summers, uh, we've, we've switched our Sunday morning gathering to Wednesday nights. Um, for the summer because we live in Montana and uh, we like to sucker people into staying, you know, to, <laughs> yeah, the summers really make the winters worth it, right? Um, and so the beautiful weather and just be, the ability to go and, and spend time with friends and family, but also us as a church family to be able to spend time together as a church family. Uh, on the weekends, during this precious time that we have uh, in, in God's country, right, uh, during this wonderful season. So, but the last couple of years we've done it every, we switched it over to every single Wednesday, but we're switching it over and we're, we're not going to do every win, every, every week. We're just going to do three times this summer. And so this, we're going to call it the second Sunday shift because we're Baptist and it's Baptist like alliteration. So there you go. So <laughs> Baptist-ish. You know, Baptish. There you go, Baptish. There you go. Um, so we're gonna be uh, sh- shifting them over uh, for. So every time there's a second Sunday, it'll be that following Wednesday. We're gonna we're gonna not meet on that that Sunday. We're gonna meet that that following Wednesday. So the dates are there. So we're not gonna meet June 12th on Sunday morning. We're gonna meet June 15th here outside. And we're actually so all three of these dates we're gonna have a barbecue. So, and we're going to meet outside in the, in the beautiful weather. So at seven, seven o'clock at night. Um, and so that's another thing you guys can get used to is that the sun in the summer doesn't set till about 10. So there's that. <laughs> but so then, so that'll, that'll be our sec, second Sunday shift. So make sure you pick up one of those, these on your way out this morning. Uh, so that you have these for, uh, for, uh, coming up so that you know what's going on when they are and you can mark them on your calendar. Put this on your fridge so you remember. So you remember, uh, <laughs> so, um, and I think that was that everything. Oh, I was going to say the, the video that we just watched was 46 United. So that is our local, uh, all the churches in the valley, like worship leaders, pastors. I was, I got, I got to be there that night to record. I'm kind of hiding behind Brandy. You can't really see me, but, uh, <laughs> so, uh, but you saw Bryce, you saw I mean, my buddy Bryce, you know, with his hand up with the tattoos everywhere. I was like, they did that just for the tattoos, didn't they? Yeah, but, yeah, they did. But uh, so, so 46 United is the churches in the valley coming together to write worship music together. And that song was written last year, and that song just dropped uh, on the on an album. So you can actually pre- you can go to Spotify and to um, Title or like different streaming services and look that up. I want to parentheses holy for, with 406 United, and you want to check that out. It's really really going to be great albums coming out here soon. Um, <clears throat> so. This morning, so if you will, grab your Bibles, and we're going to turn to Luke chapter 21. If my thing will load here. And go ahead and uh, we're going to stand for the reading of God's Word. We like to honor the Word of God to make, make sure that we know that this is the authority. This is the thing that is, that is uh, bearing on our lives here today, here in, our, in our lives. We want to submit ourselves under the Word of God here today. So this is authoritative. Anything that comes out of my mouth is what I feel is spirit-led, but I want to make sure that we know that there's a difference. This is the Word of God. Here we go. Luke chapter 20. We're going to start in verse 7. Sorry, 21. Did I say 20? I said, tw- I said 20. I'm sorry. 21. Skip. Skip ahead. 20. Chapter 21. 1. Verse 7. Wow. Maybe we should pray before we read the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, here we go. Signs of the 
Can I just say, y'all picked up a heck of a day to come to this, to this service. This is going to be a, a doozy of a, of a Sunday morning. So, <laughs> and you'll see why here in a second. All right. Luke chapter 21, verse 7. Teacher, they asked him. Oh, sorry. Verse 5. Verse 5. Got to know what we're talking about, huh? As some were talking about the, as some were talking about the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated to God, he said, these things that you see, the days will come when not one stone will be left on another that will not be thrown down. Uh, teacher, uh, they asked him, so when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that these things are about to take place? Then he said, watch out that you are not deceived. For many will come in my name saying, I am he and the time is near. Don't follow them. When you hear of wars and rebellions, don't be alarmed. Indeed, it is necessary that these things take place first, but the end won't come right away. Then he told them, nation will be raised against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be violent earthquakes and famines and plagues in various places, and there will be terrifying sights and great signs from heaven. But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you. They will hand you over to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors because of my name. This will give you an opportunity to bear witness. Therefore, make up your minds not to prepare your defense ahead of time, for I will give you such words and a wisdom able to, um, that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You will even be betrayed by your parents, brothers and sisters, relatives and friends. They will kill some of you. You will be hated by everyone because of my name. But not a hair of your head will be lost. By your endurance, gain your lives. When you see Jerusalem surrounded by armony, armies, armies, by armies, then recognize that its desolation has come near. Then those in Judah must flee to the mountains. Those inside the city must leave it. And those who are in the country must not enter it. Because these day are the days of vengeance to fulfill all the things that are written. Woe to pregnant women and nursing mothers in those days, for there will be great distress in the land and wrath against this people. They will be killed by the sword and led captive into all the nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles until the time, times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Then there will be signs in the sun, moon and stars, and there will be anguish on the earth among the nations, bewildered by the roaring of the sea and the waves, People will faint from fear and expectations of the things that are coming on the world because the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. And when these things begin to take place, stand and lift your heads because your redemption is near. Then he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they put out leaves, you can see for yourselves and recognize that summer's already near. In the same way, when you see these things happening, recognize that the kingdom of God is near. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. So be on your guard so that your minds are not dulled from carousing, drunkenness, and worries of life, or that that day will uh, come on you unexpectedly like a trap. For it will come on all who live on the face of the whole earth. 
but be alert at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. During the day, he was teaching in the temple, but in the evening, he would go out and spend the night on what is called the Mount of Olives. Then all the people would come early in the morning to hear him in the temple. Let's pray over this. Jesus, we are here. We're here to listen, to hear what your spirit is saying to the church here today. God, open up our hearts, open up our minds. Lord, help us to take our doctrines, our theologies, things that we've been taught, our assumptions, our feelings, Lord, and put them on the table in front of you. That we may present them to you, present ourselves to you, Lord, in truth, in spirit and in truth. And Lord, to receive your truth here this morning, to receive your goodness, your glory, to receive your encouragement, Lord. Even even in these daft words, Lord, they can be seen they can seem so daunting and so heavy, Lord. But Lord, I believe that through this you want and wanted and desired to encourage your church, to encourage your people. Lord, that you are always with us. You will never leave us nor forsake us. You empower us and give us your peace. So give us your peace here this morning as we as we break down this passage. And Lord Jesus, we pray your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Like I said, heck of a day to, to, to visit, huh? <laughs> so here we go. Okay, so just to kind of kind of bring you know bring a bunch of people up to speed. So we are in the midst of of ending up our our our, ser- our sermon series through the book of Luke. We've been go- we've been reading all the way through the book of Luke since November of 2020, and so this is kind of the, the long the last the last you know the last base run, right? Um, so starting next week, we're actually going to be starting with the rest of the gospel story. We're going to be starting with the Passover and in, into his crucifixion, or his trial and crucifixion, resurrection, and then the days that followed his resurrection for the summer. We're going to end our series at the end of September. So the theme of, of Luke uh, for us is that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. That's kind of his banner, his mantra, his, his mandate, his vision statement, if you will, what we found in Luke chapter 19, that the, because the Son of Man has come. The reason why Jesus came, why God came near, was to seek and to save the lost. That they would receive his mercy, that they would receive his grace, that they would receive his glory and his joy, receiving his Holy Spirit, his very presence. And so this morning, um, we are looking at a passage, a very difficult passage, but I believe it says this, to pursue peace in the wait and bless the Lord in the pain. That, I believe, is kind of overarching. I read this, pa- this passage several times this week, and every time I kept reading it, the Lord kept speaking these words, peace, pursue it, pursue peace while you're waiting, and bless the Lord in the midst of the pain. And so as we've been looking at this, this, this whole passage, this whole, the whole series, Jesus has been building up and building up and building up and building up to a climax. And so, and here's kind of the climax of his teaching. This is kind of the last little boom of, of his teaching uh, before we enter into uh, the rest of the passion story, uh, you know, starting with the plot to kill Jesus next week. Um, so, anyone else like, like, like social media? Anyone else, anyone else on social media? Anyone else addicted to social media like I am? Anyone can, can, become, can become addicted? Just sitting there, oh my gosh, Instagram reels have me pegged. Oh my gosh, 
I don't have TikTok, but it's the closest thing I got to TikTok. <laughs> right? And uh, so um, Facebook has the, these different, uh, different pages and stuff that, that you can follow. And one of these pages said, hey, post your best random advice that, you, that no one would ask you for, but you know, that you're, you have this random advice that you want to give people. And so I love looking at all the comments. Don't look back. You're not going that way anyway. The cozy side of the blanket always belongs against you. Doesn't matter how pretty or aesthetic it may look. Listen to your gut. It will never fail you. This is a very important one right here. It's a very good one. Always, always, always fart before getting adjusted by the chiropractor. My favorite form, uh, my favorite from an, advi- an advice from kids site, when your mom is mad at you, I'm sorry, when your mom is mad at your dad, don't let your mom brush your hair. <laughs> Always use a bigger bowl when making salad. I learned that last night. <laughs> Never pass up the chance to pee. Don't compare someone's highlight reel with your behind the scenes. If you're being chased by murderous taxidermists, don't play dead. (laughs) No matter how bad your day was, tell your kids you love them every chance you get. So this morning, as we will observe, Jesus is giving the best advice, which almost seems for them seems random, kind of out of left field, out of nowhere, you know, outside even their purview. They're like, wait, what? What are you? What are you talking about, Jesus? This is the temple we're talking about. Like, come on. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. It's amazing. And it's almost, you know, for them, almost too great and, and really, honestly, almost too terrible for them to even imagine this. Um, but it's not only about giving a pre-warning to the disciples about the day of the, you know, that the, 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 the uh, proverbial poop hits the proverbial fan, right? Um, it's about giving them more and more of the way um, in which to live their lives until the poop hits the fan, until this great and terrible day of the Lord comes upon them. Um, When it happens and after it happens, because life must go on. Remember, the church cannot be stopped. As Jesus said, even the gates of hell, even the gates of Hades, cannot prevail against it. As we learned way back, what, last year, you know, the gates of Hades was the, the trying, the grotto to the, the demon god Pan. So he's, Jesus is saying, even Satan himself cannot withstand the power of the church. It will not prevail against it. And so, but this is an interesting passage here this morning, is it not? It's kind of this interesting cacophony, this, this, uh, this uh, mosaic of different illustrations and parables and, and foresights of prophetic words. And so it's, it's almost like those, uh, those cooking shows, like Chopped, where they, they, give you, they give the contestants like a whole bunch of different uh, like, uh, ingredients and different random you know, fruits and vegetables. And they're like, all right, make a dish. They're like, that's garlic and that is ice cream. Um, so it's sometimes they might seem kind of impossible to mix together. And I guarantee you there is actually garlic ice cream in California. There's a garlic festival and they have garlic ice cream. Oh my God. I know it's blasphemy. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
but almost like kind of like the, you know, like the, these writing assignments for school even, uh, where you'd say like, hey, you know, include a rabbit, a, a telescope, a cathedral, and a man with a wooden leg named Jim. And they're like, you have to write a story with all these things, kind of bring them together. It's like this, like Jesus is seeming like painting with these different colors, painting with these different illustrations, these different forms of speech um, to, make, to make a point. Jesus is setting up a deeper and intricate puzzle, which feels a lot like this. Um, so how can we make sense out of an event that is described as, you know, things like armies around a city and the roaring of the seas, the, the coming of the Son of Man on a cloud and the arrival of the kingdom of God? How can this be said to happen, again, here's the, here's the context with this, I'm going to talk about it later, within this generation for them. Jesus is saying it will all happen within this generation. Now what is Jesus talking about? Well, first off, let's look at the, at the context of our passage here. So let's look at Jerusalem. Um, so, here we go. Who loves history? Anyone love history? Anyone hate history? I'm sorry. <laughs> so we are going to get a little bit of a history lesson I'm going to try not to get too bogged down with this but um, and if you can always go back and watch the sermon later but uh, Jerusalem is one of the oldest cities in human history um, it's, it dates all the way back to around as early as around the 3rd or 4th or even the 5th century BC to a little Bedouin camp it's always been called, or, or some variation of, the name Jerusalem, or Yerushalayim, or Yerusalem, which means city of peace. Shalom, Yerushalem, Salem, the city of peace. Um, according to research, Jerusalem has been destroyed uh, at least twice, besieged 23 times, captured and recaptured over 44 times, and attacked 52 times. Um, a set of Egyptian tablets that dates back to the 14th century BC refers to Jerusalem itself. Um, Jacob, let's look at the, a, a biblical um, overview of this, like the history from all the way back to Jacob. Jacob camped there, where he saw the angels ascending and descending on the, you know on, upon him. Jacob's ladder, as they call it. Um, that's where he set up the the altar. Then I uh, then Joshua conquered. Oh, I'm sorry. Let's let's jump forward. So actually, Abraham before that. Um, almost sacrificed his son Isaac on the rock. And then Jacob set up his camp there. I forgot to include that. Joshua conquered Ish, uh, the, the area. <laughs> they, he's, they came in when they, when they were uh, coming and settling in the, in the promised land. David conquered the remaining Jebusites that, that still lived there after they failed to conquer it the first time. And he built his palace there and established Israel's kingdom there, his capital there brought the Ark of the Covenant into the city and set it up in a tent on the rock. Solomon built the first temple in the 10th century B.C. there. It was the center of Judah, the southern kingdom, until the 5th century when it was destroyed by the Babylonians. And then the Persians came in and took over. And then they reestablished it um, when, when they, when, uh, the, when uh, what's it, what's it say? Um, Cyrus and Darius and then Xerxes, like allowed all the Jews to return to Jerusalem. Um, we see books like this in the history of like Ezra and Nehemiah, uh, these different prophetic, book, prophetic books, like, and even like Malachi or Malachi, I like to, I like to call them. Um, and then we see that it was reestablished by the Hasmoneans in the 4th century, and the temple was rebuilt. This is the second temple. Then we see the Maccabean revolts. Uh, then independence, woo for about 150 years. 
until the Romans came in and took over in the first century BC with Pompey. He came in and destroyed and uh, took over. And then, like we're going to talk about here, it was later destroyed in AD 70. Roman, the Romans then built a temple to Jupiter on the site. Then the Byzantines, which, which were the first churches, dwelled there uh, later in around the 4th to 5th century. And then Islam has established dominance there for, and they were there for the majority of the last 2,000 years. They built the Dome of the Rock in the 7th century. Uh, the dome was rebuilt in the 11th century, when, and that's the one that still stands today. It's crazy to see like a building that like that's still there, that's standing, like 1,300 years later. It's crazy, man. They knew how to build them. Crusaders took control for almost 100 years in the 11th century. Then Islam again took over until 1948, when Israel took over and have dwelled there since, and they shared it. They shared Jerusalem with Islam, so they have the eastern quarter. And then the, then the Christians have kind of the northern quarter. The Arme, Armenians have the southern, southwestern culture, corner. And then the Jewish people have the southern quarter, which includes the, kind of the southern part of the temple. And so that's why they call them quarters. There's four of them. Um, so it's almost, the, the almost 6,000 year history of Jerusalem is long, beautiful, and sordid at the same time. It's very heavily nuanced. Um, and Jesus is describing what he knows to be the centerpiece of her history, especially for the Jewish nation. And that is the impending, in our, in our narrative here this morning, the coming destruction of Jerusalem, the coming destruction of the temple. Um, and it's interesting, that's, that's the whole context of our passage here. I mean, it starts with, a, with people bragging about a building. And then followed up by Jesus ragging on that building. Because for them, it was, it was, you know, like the discussion that Jesus had with the Samaritan woman. You know, like, oh, you Jews say that Jerusalem is where we should worship. We say here is where you're supposed to worship. Your temple or our temple. He's like, uh, actually, there's not going to be temples anymore. They're going to be gone. And lo and behold, they're gone. They were destroyed in the, in the first century AD. And this is Jesus. Jesus is seeing this. Jesus knows that this is coming. And this is Jesus, as we know from our reading in the book of Luke, Jesus has been warning of this at every stage, warning in this. You know, like, like he says in Luke chapter 13, he's like, you know, the, pool, the, uh, the Tower of Siloam fell on all these people and killed them. Or were they much more sinners than these people? But no, or you will likewise perish. Repent. Change your minds about the future of what's going on. Change them, your mind about what's going on in the state of Israel, or you too will also perish. Because guess what? It's coming. The perishing is coming. The destruction is coming. Jesus, you know, it's interesting how Luke was building this up, and it's because the destruction of the temple has not yet happened when Luke wrote his gospel. For Luke, it's still prophecy. He's still seeing this, and but he thought it important enough. He thought it was center. It was a centerpiece enough to Jesus's ministry that Jesus was pre-warning the destruction of all of Israel. The destruction of all Israel, which we'll talk about here in a second. It's so fun to talk about! Yay! <laughs> Jesus' message to the church, his followers, is this: a time of great crisis is coming. The city will be surrounded. As we know, of course, but they could only assume because you know, it would be by the Romans. Um, and all who are able should get out of Dodge. Flee, run for the hills, flee the city. 
Do not fight with Israel out of some false national loyalty to stay in Jerusalem and go down with the ship. He's saying to them, you have switched your allegiance. You have switched sides to faith in Jesus. And you have switched your loyalties to the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of Israel. Now get out. <laughs> and essentially, according to Josephus, the church, the Christians, were actually like super criticized by their Jewish brothers for this. They were like packing, were packing up their stuff to leave. And all of them were like, why aren't you going to pick up a sword and fight with us? Come on, this is your nation. We're your people. They're like, now nah, we're out. God told us to get out, so we're getting out. We're getting out of Dodge. And they're like, and so like Josephus records how they were berated. Some of them were even killed for deserting. They saw them as deserters, right? The Jews will not win. It will not become what it once was. This glory of, of Israel. The, you know, the buildings, like they were talking about, it will not be that anymore. It will not be these beautiful buildings ornate with gold and jewels and, you know, this impressive structure. Like they were talking about, they're like, oh, look at this. Look at all these things. Oh, yeah. Jesus is like, nah. It's going to be rubble. It's going to look gross. And also the decoration of the blood of everyone, all the millions of people who are going to be killed in it, are also not going to be pretty either. Jesus is telling them these things because he wants them to know that what, you know what is coming and what to do about it and how to live their lives in the time between. Let me continue on with this, this thought. Like I said last week, we need to establish a good theology before a funeral, right? We don't, we don't uh, you know, like we said last week, that people, when people die, they don't become angels. It's, not, it's a false theology. Um, it's, it's like we become like angels. He was talking about marriage in this passage. Um, but basically, like, we want to correct our theology not in the heat of the moment. Like when someone comes up to me at a funeral and says, if my loved one, loved one of mine passes away, they're like, oh, Jesus has got another angel. And they're like, actually, no. Like, I don't want to have to be correcting someone's theology at a funeral. So basically, we need to establish a firm foundation of faith and understanding in the midst of now, of, of the comfort uh, and the peace, in these mundane moments where life is just going on, these are the moments where we need to wrestle and establish our firm foundation. You don't wait until the flood comes to get ready. You get ready for things. You prepare. You get the right windows. You get the right doors. You get the right sort of... You get, you get the, the sandbags ready before the rain ever hits you. You're not preparing in the midst of the storm. That's a terrible way to prepare because it's not being prepared. But so this is what Jesus is trying to say. He's, a, he's trying to establish this firm foundation of faith in the moments like these, of, of, you know, in the midst of them, and to, in order to be able to stand in and withstand the day of trial, to live in the day of hardship firm in your faith. And these are the moments that we need this encouragement. These are the moments that we need to be reminded that God is with us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. He is for us. He's not against us. He has a plan for our lives, plans to flourish us, not to harm us, plans to give us hope and a future. We learn these moments in these moments of peace, right? And tranquility, where there's not a crazy amounts of, you know, maybe celebration or depression. We're in this moment of just everyday life. 
We're just living everyday life so that when the waves come and crash against it, we're ready. Building our house, like the Bible says, on the rock, not the sand. So that when the waves come, the house is ready. Our faith is ready to handle it. Our faith, our life is ready to handle it. Because in this moment, the disciples are in somewhat of a peaceful place in the grand scheme of things. Jesus was preparing them for the hardships that would come after his death. Well, really, during his death and resurrection, right? That, that kind of went crazy. But then afterwards, and after his ascension, and then you know, to continue on in his kingdom after the destruction of Jerusalem and Israel in AD 70, and to set the tone for even us today. That we are in that place. We are in that place of waiting. The destruction of Israel happened a long time ago. That's why for us it's like not that big a deal because it's not that big a deal. It's just kind of like it's almost like a blip in the uh, it's almost like a blip in in the timeline of, of of biblical history. We just kind of read over sometimes. But it was a big deal. It was a big deal. Our scripture today is a reaffirmation of Jesus' prophetic words through Luke, but specifically his words uh, back in 19, like we read a while back, uh, a, few, you know, a few weeks ago. And this he says, As he approached this and saw the city, he wept for it, saying, If you knew this day what would bring peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. For the days will come on you when your enemies will build a barricade around you, surround you, and hem you in on every side. They will crush you and your children among you to the ground and they will not leave one stone on another in your midst because you did not recognize the time when God visited you. Okay, let's, re- let's go back into that and remember what that was like. So like I said, this, this temple specifically stood for almost 600 years. Think about that. That's double America's entire lifespan. Do you think that the temple was ingrained in their culture? But for Jesus, it had come to stand for the perversion of the state of Israel that Jesus continually, throughout his entire ministry, opposed through his life and ministry. This this temple had ceased to be the center of God's rule on earth and is is therefore now, in this passage, is dispensable, expendable. The great and terrible day of the Lord is when... The temple was destroyed. When Jerusalem was destroyed, all the Pharisees that were giving Jesus a hard time, who persecuted the apostles, who brought Peter into the temple to try them and and flogged them and beat them and charged Paul, all of them would be dead, would be wiped out. All those who didn't, abide by Jesus' warning to get out of Dodge, would die. In fact, over a million Jews were killed in the matter of six months. That would be equal to about 52 million today in, in America. Or more. Think about this. The religious, political, and economic center of Israel. Gone. Destroyed. Dead. Not to be rebuilt like the think about this for us today in america let's kind of let's try to wrap our minds around this this would be like you turn on the news and you watch a missile a hypersonic missile come in and just annihilate the white house and then the next clip is the statue of liberty gone 
exploding from the inside out. Someone laid a bomb. The capital, gone, completely destroyed. Maybe another airplane flies into it. The Supreme Court building explodes. Another bomb. The Washington Monument, you know, the base is, you know, boom, bomb, and like it's like toppling and boom, crashes into the Capitol. You know, crashes into the Fountain Mall. Then you see the Washington, then you see Wall Street, the New World Trade Center, Liberty Hall, the Pentagon, the Federal Reserve, FBI building, CIA building. Then you see, you know, clip after clip after clip after clip after clip of each military base around the world being bombed and destroyed overrun by locals, overrun by militaries around the country, around the world. Anything and everything that signified any sort of identity of America, any semblance of unification, American flags being burned by the thousands, by the millions. People being drugged in the street and killed, crucified, Only f for Israel, this was immensely more unimaginable, unimaginable because for them, it represented thousands of years of God's presence among them. Where for us, our history is only about, what, uh, 240, 50 years? 200, almost 50 years coming up on? Thousands of years ingrained culture, faithfulness. This is why it's called the great and terrible day of the Lord. This great and terrible day of the Lord will change things both for the better and for the more difficult for the church as well. I mean, the temple was synonymous for Jerusalem and Israel itself. And Christians were often associated with Jews because Christianity is a Jewish faith. It's a continuation of the covenants of Israel. Um, but his, his words to them, you know, like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and the other minor prophets, God is prophesying this over his people once again. That destruction is coming. The Jewish culture and the presence in the land is going to end until 1948, as we know now, on this side of history, right? Well, the disciples believe him. <laughs> They're like, oh, so when are these things going to happen? They ask them, right? Um, and, he, and Jesus answers, you know, Jesus', Jesus answer, it's actually interesting, indicates, if you look at his answer, indicates that he will not be with them. Um, it's interesting that they don't actually ask him about this. Like, wait, where are you, you going to be? <laughs> Aren't you, are you going to stay with us? Because remember, he hasn't been crucified yet. Um, he will keep telling them that he's going away, going away. John 14, he talks about I'm gonna, when I go away to go and be with my father, right? Um, Jesus' words to them, however, through all, all this, this entire passage, which we're going to close with here. I'm going to try to wrap it up because oh, this could be an entire series. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, Jesus' words to them are this. Don't, don't be anxious. Don't worry. I am with you. Endure. Stay strong. Stand firm. I am with you. Matthew 28, I will be with you always to the very end of the age. That's why he's sending the Holy Spirit, so we, he would be with us. But here's the thing. He is not saying that they won't suffer. He is not saying it won't be hard. 
He's not saying it will happen even immediately. He's telling them to pursue the peace, shalom, tranquility, purpose of God in the midst of the wait. And to bless or praise, joy, extol, rely on the Lord in the midst of all the difficulties. In fact, that's why he's warning them. He's warning them so that they'll be prepared, so that they're ready for it. They're ready for when the difficult parts come. They're ready for the trial. They're ready for the suffering. Oftentimes, I think suffering hits us so hard because we're not ready. We're, we're not in a position where we're already relying on the Lord. And when we're, we're not relying on the Lord, this, you know, Satan likes to go, whoosh. he's like, all right, when are you topsy-turvy? Go, whoosh. sweep the leg. Karate kid, sweep the leg. Right? Satan likes to take cheap shots. He knows that when, when we're injured, to sweep the leg. Right? He knows the weak parts. He knows the sensitive parts. To, to, right? The pains in our life. Maybe sometimes physically. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> but suffering, what, is, what Jesus is saying is, is suffer and live well in this generation for what? Your vindication and consolation is coming. Your vindication. It's interesting that he uses this word, vindication. The great vindication of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it, you know, looking at these different things. So this is kind of where we get into our, you know, the different, uh, you know, signs and symbols and things like that that he's talking about here. The plagues and the uh, the sun and the, and the moon and the stars. Um, all these different signs, right? Um, these, are, these things are not literal. These things are, are figure, figurative analogy of to Rome's cultural upheaval. Because think about this. So um, during this time, Nero all of a sudden commits suicide out of nowhere after torturing and, and, and burning most of Rome to rebuild his, his castle and blaming it on the Christians, burning Christians alive at his parties for entertainment to, and to light his house parties. And then this, this evil, wicked ruler that everyone recognizes is a complete, incompetent imbecile dies by committing suicide. And then they go after this like succession of emperors after that. It's like oh, you're being drugged from this way to this way to this way and this way. It's like you get cultural whiplash just from the different emperors like yanking you to, yank you, like, to different, different ways. It's like it almost feels, it feels like the last, like, what, eight, you know, what about 12 years or so has kind of felt like that. You know, just being jolted culturally and politically from one side to the other. It's like, oh, every election is like, it's like duh, duh, you know, right? It's just like, oh. And so one after another, the dramatic shift of the Roman Empire and Pax Romana this is what Jesus is talking about, you know, sending these ripples, sending these waves through the empire. Um, and we, I mean, we kind of know what this feels like today. Well, like, elections, yes, but think about COVID. To, then the election, and then Russia, you know, Ukraine, and then now smallpox, and then school shootings, the border crisis, Roe v. Wade, food shortages, inflation, taxes, more elections coming up. <laughs> Uh, threats and anxieties over World War III and a slew of other things. Man, we can feel the tension so palpably if we pay attention to our culture. Turn off the TV. Amen to that. But the best way to understand this part of the passage is to see, like the first century church did, that the Jerusalem, Israel, that killed Jesus, that that was persecuting them, and that was oppressing and rejecting God, that, you know, the God that they claimed to worship, this Israel was going to be judged. They were finally going to be overthrown. 
thus vindicating Jesus and his disciples. This is the sign that Jesus indeed is being fulfilled, that, that Jesus is now enthroned on the Father's side, at the Father's side. Like, like Stephen was saying when he died. So I, I see the Son of Man standing next to God, next to the Father. And this is justifying, saying that all the things that Jesus said, all the things that Jesus warned, all the things that Jesus was preaching to, to live and the way to live and the way to be were true. This is the divine I told you so of the Bible. Luke believes in the final and victorious coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, <clears throat> uh, you know, the, what we, we would call traditional eschatology. I mean, you, you can see that in Acts chapter 1, he said, you will see him come back in the same way you saw him leave. You know, flying. Floating off like a balloon. Except they didn't know what balloons were. They're like, what's going on? He's gone. He's gone. There are plenty of examples elsewhere about eschatology. End times, the final and great victorious day of the Lord's return. But this isn't it. This is not one of those passages. This is not what the passage is about. This passage is not about the end times. This is about AD 70, about the final great and terrible day of the Lord for, for Jerusalem and Israel. This will bring comfort and justification to the disciples for enduring so much. Yeah, because they endured a lot of suffering. And the, these are the words that the author of Hebrews wrote to the church. Uh, this is Hebrews chapter 10, verse 30. Um, oops. By the way, should have put a bookmark there. It said, remember the early... I'm sorry, let's go back to 4. 30. For we know the one who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Remember the earlier days when after you had been delighted and endured uh, a hard struggle with suffering, sometimes you were publicly exposed to taunts and afflictions, and at other times you, you were companions of those who were treated that way. For you sympathized with the prisoners and accepted the, with joy the confiscation of your possessions because you know that you yourselves have a better and enduring possession. So don't throw away your confidence, which, is a great, which has a great reward. For you need endurance, so that after you have done God's will, you may receive what was promised. And yet in a very little while, the coming one will come and not delay. But my righteous one will live by faith. And if he draws back, I have no pleasure in him. But we are not those who draw back and are destroyed, but are those who have faith and are saved. This generation. This generation. This whole, the passage that Hebrews is talking about, all the fighting, all the struggling, all the, the enduring, the trials, the, as a, I think it was a James, is saying, take joy, my brothers, when you suffer trials of many kinds. Yay! Why? Because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its day, have, you know, to its fullest. Enjoy all the endurance. Because you've, you've stood. You've withstood the trials. But this is a huge part of this passage for, to help us know its, con, its context. This generation, like I said, is not figurative. 
He's saying all this destruction, all the things that, are, that you're seeing in our passage here this morning, will come soon-ish. Within this generation, under his breath, <clears throat> for those who are, who are still alive, because he knows that all the disciples, except for John, will die at the hands of persecution, will die at the hands of martyrdom. He said, you will be preserved. You know, his, the whole concept of like, you know, that not one of the hairs of your head will be, will be harmed. He's talking about their, their true life. It's like, Jesus says, like, don't fear him who can kill the body. Don't, don't fear the person who can ruin your physical earthly life. But honor and respect the one who can throw you and your soul into, into hell. Honor him. Respect him and his way, his voice, his word. It's who should we honor? Who should we respect? There's that, the context of the word fear. That's what he's saying. Is like not, not one of your the hairs of your head. You're, you know, Satan or this world can't destroy who you really are. Can't destroy your spirit. In fact, if your spirit is walking by the Holy Spirit, there's nothing that can stop you. There's nothing that can stop what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life. There's nothing that can stop what God wants to do in His world. God even says, don't worry about your life. Don't be anxious about your life. Don't, what you're going to eat or what you're going to drink. I will be with you. I will supply your need. Jesus is the last prophet. This was it for Jerusalem. As we talked about a few weeks ago, the, the, the vine owner has sent his son. There are no more messengers or servants to send to give warnings. This is it. And they rejected it. That's the... So now, Jesus' words are, be on guard to the church. Be watchful, patient, expectant. But, not freak, don't freak out. Don't freak out. Don't freak out. Don't freak out. Don't be anxious. Don't worry. Don't worry about your life. This is exactly what we just said. Why Jesus kept preaching this. Be on your guard. Don't worry. Don't, don't be anxious. We live and preach the gospel in a world which, like Jerusalem, also often refuses to listen to the words of the church, the words of God, of which will bring true peace and flourishing in this world. God's, wor- God's way is the only way that brings actual truth, which brings actual peace. Like we, like we say, that word shalom means flourishing. It's not just like peace as in lack of conflict. Right? It, it, this, it means... Peace, as in the way that life was supposed to be from the beginning. You look all the way back to the very beginning of the Bible before we ruined it. And the flourishing of the animals, the flourishing of the, of the, of the plant life, the flourishing of this world, of relationships with, with people and people with God. That's shalom. Life as God created it to be from the beginning. And that which he will restore in the end. That is shalom. That is peace that we're talking about. That is the peace that only God can give. Nothing in this world comes close. So we must be on our guard. We must also declare the word of God, the gospel of hope. Gosh, especially now more than ever. We are the carriers of hope. We're the only ones in this world who have it. Do you understand that? It seems arrogant to say, but if it's true, it's true. And it's not arrogance. We have the only word to true 
peace, to true hope, to true life. The way, truth, and the life. No one comes to this peace. No one comes to this hope. No one comes to God except through this word of hope through Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ. To warn our culture against rejecting God's invitation and bring disaster upon us and the rest of the world. We must continue to practice watchful patience. Pursue peace in the way and endure suffering to be, and bless God in the pain. Romans 12. 9 through 21 says this. Let love be without hypocrisy. Let me just stop here for a second. As I end our time together with this, I want us to just let these words soak in. Listen to these words. It's, kind of a, it's almost like a New Testament Proverbs. It's kind of like, bam, 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 bam. But listen to these things through the lens of where our culture is, where our world is right now, where you are in your life right now. How do you hear these words from our brother Paul? In, a, in, another, in a secular society, a Western society like Rome, in a society that hates God, in a society that is worshiping pagan gods, how do you hear these words as a believer, as a saint of the Lord Jesus? Let love be without hypocrisy. Detest evil. Cling to what is good. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Take the lead in honoring one another. Do not lack diligence and zeal. Be fervent in the Spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent. Annoy God by praying so much (laughs) because He can't be annoyed. Persistent in prayer. Share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. Invite one another over for campfires and s'mores. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Don't be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation, in your own eyes. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Friends, do not avenge yourselves. Instead, leave room for God's wrath, because it is written, Vengeance belongs to me. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. Don't feed him poison. Stop. Don't think that way. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. Not hemlock. For in so doing, you will, he- you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. So Jesus' Jesus' words, Jesus' message are simple. Listen to the Father's voice. Take comfort in His presence. Find direction from His Spirit. Don't stop. Never stop doing good. And preach the gospel. Preach the truth. We talked about last week. It was a reminder. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not rely on your own understanding. In all your ways... Know him, and he will make your paths straight. Trust the Lord. Pursue peace in the wait. Because he did say, so his words to us, 
I was going to include one from Revelation, but I thought that was, was getting way too long. But we have this hope in Christ. We have this hope that Christ is coming back. We, we know and believe that He will wipe away every tear from every eye. There will be no pain, no more sorrow, no more death, no more struggle, no more trials, no more temptations, no more pain, physical, emotional, spiritual, mental, anything. God said in the end, everything will be put right. In fact, better than I created it in the beginning, I'm going to restore it even better. You will be my kingdom. I will be your God. I will walk with you in the cool of the morning. I'm coming back. I will set all things right. As as Narnia says, when he shakes his mane, Aslan, we will have spring again. We will have joy fulfilled. We will have, as the Bible says, vindication. Sin, death will be no more. We will be with God. God will be with us. All things will be right. But in the meantime, we need to pursue peace in the wait and bless the Lord in the pain. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your promise to us that, we, that you will never leave us nor forsake us, that you are with us in all things to endure all things. That no matter what happens around us, no matter what's coming in the future, good or bad, hopeful or devastating, Lord, we know that You are for us. We know that You will be with us to sustain us. And that gives us boldness to proclaim the Gospel. Joy, in fact, because we want to see other people rescued from the trials, rescued from the suffering, so that they can also have joy, so they can have hope. Lord, help us to build this foundation of knowledge and and assurance this morning, today in our lives, so that when the waves come, when the struggles come, when the trials come, when the sufferings come in this world, we can stand in them and withstand the day of trial. Because it is You, Lord God, who are giving us strength. It is you who are strengthening our weak knees and giving strength to our voice to proclaim of your goodness, to proclaim of your glory, Lord Jesus. Lord, give us a vision of your presence with us. Let us reach out and God to experience you here this morning and in our lives this week. Bless us, Lord. Strengthen us. In Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen.